Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Jared Brown, PhD, to the podcast to talk with us about the vulnerabilities some autistic individuals may have when it comes to suggestibility, compliance, and goalability. Jared is a professor, trainer, and consultant with considerable experience working with criminal justice. The reality is that there are dishonest people out there that try to take advantage of others. There are others that knowingly and unknowingly ask leading questions to try to elicit a response they want. How can self-advocates help protect themselves and make sure to have their voice heard? Jared's gonna guide us down this path, so we're very excited to learn about these real-world experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Jared. Thank you so much for having me on today. Well, when we reached out and we were able to connect, the first thing that came to my mind, Jared, was back in the early 90s, I was in school, and there was a, a child there who probably at that point might not have been diagnosed on the autism spectrum, but you could tell that there were some signs. And I remember walking into school one day and hearing the stories of a bunch of children trying to egg this particular child on to do things he shouldn't be doing. People were laughing. He felt a part of that situation and didn't quite pick up the context of what was going on. Is this the sort of sensational sort of pieces that that you are diving into that maybe start innocent, start as maybe teasing or provocative and could turn criminal in nature if this child goes and disrobes an environment or acts on something somebody guides them to doing? I think absolutely that could be a layer there because unfortunately, if you're working with someone on the autism spectrum or any other type of neurodevelopmental disorder, they can be highly gullible and they can be naive in some cases. And I often look through a lens of like their developmental and emotional age. This is a really important takeaway point, I think, for any professionals or caregivers living or just living this, hearing this, is the fact maybe you have a child who's 16 years old chronologically, but developmentally and emotionally, they may function as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. And in some cases, that can absolutely be a red flag indicator for other students, other people who might be older, that this person could be somewhat gullible and easily talked into doing things that might not be in their best interest. Lots and lots of stories to take into account. Sometimes this could be financial vulnerability, having them give away money to people that they should not be giving their money away to. I do a lot of consultation on the side with a lot of caregivers and professionals. And when we think about this topic too, social media is a huge issue. I can't count how many professionals or caregivers have reached out to me over the years stating, I have a client, I'm working with someone on the autism spectrum. They really got involved in social media. They got into some groups where they're starting to talk to underage people. They don't understand the age of consent. They may be an adult, but the other individuals in that group may be underage. 
but in their mind, they're talking to someone their same emotional and social age, but in a court of law, if something happened, they only look at chronological age. So developmental immaturity, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, those kind of topics are very important to consider when we think about people on the autism spectrum who might be more gullible, more naive, even compliant. We'll talk about compliance today. I'll talk about suggestibility. One thing I do want to stress to your listeners is that the overwhelming majority of people on the autism spectrum are law-abiding citizens. But there is a minority of these individuals that do come into contact with the criminal justice system. And it's not just for perpetration, but it is for victimization, vulnerability, even being an eyewitness to an event, a situation, a crime. And what we're going to talk about today is going to apply to all of those populations, regardless if the person committed a crime or they're a witness or if they're a victim of something very traumatic. So we'll dig into these topics today. Yeah, I look forward to getting into the details on some of this. But before we even go there, one thing that I I like to do is, is get to know who we're talking to. And you have a lot of knowledge on a subject that oftentimes gets overlooked. But I'm kind of wanting to understand a little bit more about how you found this niche area specializing in these vulnerabilities and in the justice system, especially as it pertains to autistics. Yeah, so starting out, I worked in a lot of different positions, just kind of getting into this field. I've worked in the field of probation. I've done a lot of work in the field of mental health. I'm a professor. I do a lot of training. I do a lot of consulting. A lot of these fields, regardless if it's the criminal justice arena or the mental health arena or human service, social service, a lot of professionals in these arenas haven't had advanced training in the area of autism or other types of neurodevelopmental disorders. So that was one thing that got my attention where there was limited training. As I started digging deeper and we started, I started looking into the criminal justice side of this and how it really intersects with the legal system, there's even fewer trainings available. And as I kind of started out in learning about these topics, attending trainings, consulting with other professionals, taking various degrees, there's not a lot of advanced training out there for police officers, lawyers, forensic evaluators, probation officers, corrections. And I really started dabbling and digging into this topic and starting to develop trainings and different offerings for professionals to advance their knowledge because people on the spectrum and other related neurodevelopmental disorders, unfortunately, when they become involved in the criminal justice system, oftentimes slip through the cracks, not because the professionals are doing something intentionally, but treatment as usual, probation as usual, the way in which people interview folks on the spectrum really need to be modified to that person's neurodevelopmental capabilities, their functioning capabilities, all of these things we'll talk about today. And if we don't, this population is highly vulnerable. They may agree to things they have no idea what they just agreed to. They could be very compliant and outwardly agree, but inside they don't want to do it, but they sometimes lack that ability or competence or self-esteem to tell someone I don't want to go along with this, or I'm confused. Can you re-explain it to me? I just don't know what's happening. And if some of these individuals are thrusted into a prison or jail setting, vulnerability, 
victimization goes up. So that is a big part of why I'm doing this because of the vulnerability piece. And a lot of individuals working in these systems of care may have had a training on Autism 101 an hour here and there, but not to the deep level of understanding the nuances associated with some of the topics we'll kind of dabble with today. Yeah. And I so to put this in a framework, I'd, I'd love to kind of, I guess, talk about it almost as like a case conceptualization. And maybe I can put that out there as, say we have um, a child who um, was abused in some way. And they were abused not in a aggressive physical way, but in a suggestible way. They were they were talked into doing things that they should not have done and that were obviously being perpetrated upon. And I'd like to start there because I guess that's where I'd be starting to think suggestibility and compliance come into play because a lot of children with autism learn that there is a right answer. I'm supposed to give that right answer. That's how I get reinforced by the outside world. So they're scared to be assertive through that process. So how does suggestibility come into play in something like that? So if this is where it gets a little interesting because the research to date, and there hasn't been a lot of studies, there's been some, but the studies to date have actually found that people on the autism spectrum are not necessarily more suggestible than people without autism, but they have found that they're much more compliant. Mm. But there's plenty of authors in the autism literature that still indicate that some people on the spectrum may be suggestible. And we're all suggestible to some level because it really is a normal phenomenon. And under the right circumstances, people can be talked into things, believing things that aren't accurate. And it really is a dynamic and situational process. And it really can be a vulnerability for somebody, regardless of what disorder they have, if they come into contact with the legal system, the criminal justice system. And we know that suggestibility could be intentional. So someone's doing it intentionally, but there's also various forms of unintentional suggestibility. What happens if the person you're working with, as you mentioned, may have had a trauma history as well? That could be a vulnerability on top of the autism. Maybe the individuals also had a traumatic brain injury at some point in their life. Are they also sleep deprived? Are they in an environment where there's just constant chaos and commotion and they're not being modeled appropriate behaviors? So there's so many situational factors to take into account. But really at the heart of suggestibility, if we're looking at this through kind of the criminal justice lens, how does that client handle uncertainty? And we know that people on the autism spectrum do best with predictability, structure, and consistency. So when things are unpredictable and uncertain, that can exacerbate all kinds of secondary issues. This can exacerbate self-regulation problems. We know this population is very prone to just dealing with sensory processing issues. What happens if the person's being interviewed in an environment where there's bright lights, lots of commotion, multiple people in the room at the same time? Maybe they're being interviewed by a police officer and the sirens are going and there's a lot of lights in the background. That can be very overwhelming, very scary, very confusing. What happens if the person who's interviewing the individual on the autism spectrum has no idea anything about autism 
or realizes this person may have some vulnerabilities and they start getting frustrated with the person because the person on the autism spectrum may have some communication deficits and they aren't able to articulate things quick enough for that interviewer and that interviewer puts on more pressure. All of these factors can be lead to disastrous outcomes in a criminal justice legal arena, regardless if the person has autism or not. But there are a lot of vulnerabilities associated with autism that definitely interviewers need to take into account to be most effective with collecting and gathering accurate and reliable information from the person. Because at the core of the criminal justice system, if you're not collecting accurate and reliable information, miscarriages of justice can happen. Wrongful convictions, false alibis, this absolutely applies to eyewitness testimony as well. So the list goes on, but those are just a few things that come to mind with that particular question. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about these interviews, it, it kind of would scare me that somebody could be put in a position where they are being led down a path. And if you don't have a skilled interviewer or you have somebody who's providing statements or creating an environment that's eliciting wrong responses, I, the idea of wrongful conviction, I, somebody who says the wrong thing or perceives it differently or has a different perspective and doesn't know how to articulate it. I mean, do people find themselves incarcerated simply because of maybe admitting to something they never did. Does that happen? It does happen. How often it's difficult to say, but absolutely there are plenty of documented cases, not just for people with autism, but for people with other types of neurodevelopmental, neurocognitive impairments. But absolutely that without a doubt happens. And within that criminal justice arena, again, that could lead to a host of issues, but out for parents and caregivers too. What happens if that child or adult with autism sees a mental health provider or sees a med uh, medical provider and that person does not recognize autism or understands autism? Within those arenas too, we need to be aware of how in some cases certain lines of questioning could lead that person to over-endorse symptoms and possibly be diagnosed with something they don't have. Worst case scenario, what happens if someone is seeing a medical provider for medication prescription and they overendorse something and they're prescribed a medication that they don't need? Maybe in a school arena, they're being interviewed by a school psychologist or school social worker, and maybe they have some limited training on these topics. And they overestimate that person's ability and where this person truly needs some extra support and services to be as successful as possible within that K through 12 setting. What happens if it's a job interview too? All of these factors come into play, not just in the criminal justice system, but obviously I would say just looking through the criminal justice arena, that's where the most dire consequences could happen. But there are other consequences that can happen in these other arenas as well. So I encourage anyone who does any type of interview, regardless of what setting, to learn about these topics. Because if you can learn about these topics, these are going to be absolutely helpful for interviewing any type of person, regardless if they have autism or not. Yeah, and you see stories all the time and on vulnerable populations going into situations and being taken advantage of through the process. And if those interview skills or the person that's trying to support them 
doesn't really understand all the nuance of what's going on. And everybody is, is an individual. I mean, you could have somebody identifying as autistic who has a traumatic brain injury like you had described. You could have somebody with just intellectual deficits. You could have somebody that really is extremely high functioning. You would not recognize that there's any sort of diagnosed condition that maybe just doesn't understand social nuance or has high anxiety. I think that all of those pieces are key, but I don't know that all practitioners have taken the step that you're describing and being able to get there and educate themselves yet. Um, are there are there courses and things like that, that that people should be focusing on, especially when they are an advocate for vulnerable populations? Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've done so many different trainings on most of these topics I'm talking about for mainly professional audiences. But if you really want to take your knowledge to the next level, if you're an interviewer or even a caregiver who's being an advocate for your child, learn about emotional intelligence, learn about social intelligence, emotional and developmental immaturity. I do a lot of work in the area of prenatal trauma as well. In some cases, unfortunately, there are some individuals that have also dealt with prenatal trauma. What happens in utero can also have a significant impact on brain development. At the core of some of these issues we're talking about today too, something called executive function. I do a lot of training in the area of executive dysfunction. Executive functioning really drives the bus with behavior and look at it as more like the CEO of the brain. So it's like the boss of the brain. Plenty of research literature to show that people with autism absolutely have some limitations in the area of executive function. And what might that look like? That could be issues with time management, problem solving, organization, decision making. Even people with lower levels of executive function can get fatigued quite easily. We really need to take that into account. Let's say you're an interviewer and you're interviewing someone on the spectrum. First 10 or 15 minutes in the interview, the client's alert, engaged, and then all of a sudden they shut down and look like they're tired and falling asleep. That can be very confusing to that interviewer. And in some cases, that interviewer may jump to the conclusion that this person has no interest in being there. Their behavior now is shifting and they must be guilty. We've got to be careful not jumping to conclusions. So anytime you see these behavioral patterns, I think it's always important to stay curious, dig deeper, because there could be something else going on. Are they having some cognitive failures there? Maybe they're sleep deprived. They haven't slept in two days because they just got out of a traumatic situation. Are they dealing with some learning challenges? Or maybe they deal with some auditory processing issues and they can only pick up every third word you're saying and their brain isn't processing it right. What about information processing? Maybe a client hears a question and there's a long pause of 20 or 30 seconds. To that interviewer, they may jump to that conclusion that person again maybe doesn't want to answer their question. But to the person on the autism spectrum, they may need more time to process. So mm -hmm. keeping things calm and slow and fact-checking and verifying are just a few things to take into account. You mentioned a little bit about trauma earlier too. There is emerging research showing that people with the, on the autism spectrum have higher rates of the ACEs score, adverse childhood experiences. It may be from caregiver neglect and abuse, but it's also from peer rejection. That is mm -hmm. a huge issue for this population. 
in many of these things I'm talking about today, if you throw trauma into this mix, it's like putting fuel on the fire. It just makes everything worse. Yeah. Attachment issues need to be taken into account. How they deal with empathy. In some cases, there's research to show that people on the autism spectrum may show empathy different than other people. So to the untrained observer, or if this client is sitting in court as a defendant, to the judge and jury who don't understand autism, that client could come off as very cold, callous, and aloof, when in fact that's not their intent. And that could be a direct result of their impairment from their disorder. So there's a lot of layers to this, a lot of nuances. Definitely it takes a lot of just staying current on this research literature, but it can be done with intentionality and really consulting with people who understand these topics, especially when someone with autism becomes involved in the justice system. Absolutely. Let's let's throw that trauma bomb in there right now and let's talk about it. I mean, so say you have a child who experienced childhood trauma and like any of us, that experience resonates within us. So now they're experiencing an event that maybe has some of those pieces to it. It could be an environmental trigger. It could be a voice trigger. I've seen it in historically where a beard, because that was the person they saw had a beard that, that caused them harm once, that that is their trigger. How do we make sure that that person still has a voice? Because they might start repeating the story of their trauma and they might get ignored in future events because people will say, well, that's just them reliving their past trauma. This isn't real. Let's let's move on. This isn't something that we need to take seriously. And that is fearful as a parent to think that I can't give my child a voice to every single event that's occurring in their life. So how do we protect that child? Well, trauma is the biggest topic of them all in the in the mental health arena. So when we think of trauma, understand the adverse childhood experiences research. You can go online, you'll find tons of things. But another term to be aware of is complex and developmental trauma. So if a child goes through traumatic experiences early in life during critical stages of development, that can damage brain development that is responsible for self-regulation, memory, attention. So a lot of these kids too can look like they have ADHD and they're just all over the map and this can absolutely impact functioning on all levels. So what do we do about this? Become knowledgeable about trauma and how trauma can really impact the mood, the behavior, cognition, and impact social skill deficits. Working with providers who are trauma-informed, attachment-informed, because most kids with extensive trauma histories probably have some attachment problems too. And if they can't to attach to people, sometimes they can become very guarded and reserved. And maybe eye contact is unusual. They stare too long, not enough, those kind of things. That can be very confusing too to an interviewer. So become attachment informed. I'll take it a step further too. Most people with extensive trauma histories and most people on the autism spectrum have sleep problems. Sleep issues exacerbate everything. Sleep is number one to health, in my opinion, from all the work I do in this area. And it has significant implications for how that child or adult takes in information from the outside world, processes it, understands it, communicates it. So referral to a sleep specialist, 
getting sleep under control can help reduce maybe some secondary symptoms. Those would be a few things to just start out with basic 101. But then becoming informed, there's something called trauma-informed interviewing. You can go online and, and look at that. Being very sensitive to the way in which how you interview someone with a trauma history. Now, if you introduce autism into the equation, that becomes very challenging and even more complicated. So you need more training and awareness in these topics. But by becoming trauma-informed, you're going to take into account that client's unique history of trauma. And at the core of becoming trauma-informed is instilling safety and trust. And without that level of safety and trust, think of that as a foundation for a house. You're not going to build a house on sand or it's going to crumble. It's hard to build a foundation if it's a therapist, a treatment provider, whatever you're doing, establishing safety and trust and then building from there. Now, collateral contacts, consulting with other people, getting to know the caregivers or other providers involved to learn as much as possible about that person's unique strengths and limitations. But also, how does that person communicate? How do they learn? Do they have any reading deficits? Do they have any hearing deficits? We need to modify the way in which we interview these kind of individuals. Because if we interview them just like everybody else, problematic outcomes will probably happen. And depending on the situation, it could be very dire for the individual if it's criminal justice related matters. Yeah, and a lot of what you're describing is um, how the community around an individual can help support them better. How about on that self-empowerment piece? Is that when we're talking about those critical skills, you, you mentioned um, sleep, you mentioned executive function, um, I'd probably throw in there um, being able to have perspective taking and concept formation, understanding beyond that black and white and how to be able to kind of get into those gray areas. What are some of the other skills that if you're preparing a child to move into adolescence, young adulthood, that you'd say, you know what, I want these skills to be intact or I want a focus on them so that we're not running into the compliance issue, the gullibility issue, or any sort of um, challenges that we can avoid? Maybe finding an executive functioning coach who understands autism. So making things very concrete, skills building, repetition, predictability. When we talk about executive function, very important to understand the topics of inhibition. Just think of that as like an internal pause button or a parking brake, helping them learn how to put on the brakes, pause, reflect, think through things. There's something called metacognition training. We absolutely could do just a whole nother segment on metacognition, but helping the individual understand their own thinking. So thinking about thinking, knowing about knowing, helping them gain more insight into their own strengths and own limitations is a critical component. Promoting self-efficacy, promoting self-esteem, a lot of clients I've worked with over the years in the autism spectrum, unfortunately, deal with high levels of shame, especially adults. A lot of them have had relationship breakdowns, problems in employment settings. They feel like a failure sometimes. Another critical component to this, especially when we're talking about kids transitioning to adulthood, when maybe they're graduated high school, there's less supports and services in place, really being aware of the topic of adaptive functioning. 
this is get this is a huge topic. It's an important topic, not just for the criminal justice system, but for day to day functioning. You could have a client on the autism spectrum who has a very high IQ. So on paper, they look extremely competent, but adaptive functioning wise, they may function as if they have an intellectual disability. So if professionals only rely on an IQ score. That is another reason why this population slips through the cracks. Mm -hmm. So adaptive functioning, daily living skills, personal responsibility. Um, how does someone cook, clean, take care of a pet? Do they take their medications as prescribed? Uh, do they know how to sort laundry? I can think of a couple cases where being in Minnesota, it's freezing in the wintertime. There have been a few clients that don't know how to dress for the proper season. That could be a real safety concern. When we think of adaptive behavior too, under that umbrella is what's their level of gullibility like? Do they have good decision-making and responsibility types of behaviors? Do they understand rules? Do they understand those abstract concepts too? If we look at this through a lens of the criminal justice system, do they understand what it means to take an oath or a plea bargain or consent or competency? A lot of times those words they may give the outward impression by nodding up and down that they understand what they just agreed to. But a lot of times they don't. So you need to fact check, verify. You need to be very careful with utilizing just abstract terms and concepts. It's raining mm -hmm. cats and dogs outside. I mean, that's a perfect example. Making things concrete, making it visual. I'm sure all of you know social stories and video modeling and those kind of things. Those are good interventions to try. The list goes on and on, but adaptive behavior, another critical component to what we're talking about today. Yeah, and there's there's so many skills to be able to, to develop. And as a parent first, what I'd say is that I'd be always hesitant for a sink or swim model. And I'm looking out there, you mentioned social media. I mean, I've, th I've seen things out there on uh, devious licks or where people are being told to go out there. And I think that I read a story in Utah and they were, um, uh, smacking teachers in the backside. And I could see somebody thinking, oh, well, that's how everybody's doing it right now. So I'm going to go fit in and I'm going to engage in that. Whether or not you're autistic or neurotypical is that sometimes social media guides you the wrong direction. There's also online scams. I see people falling for that all the time. And you get uh, at the vulnerability of your financial assets and things like that or your information out there. What are the bubbles that you'd be saying to families right now? You know, create this bubble for your child. As the skills develop, poke holes in the bubble. Give them the chance to explore more and more, but be cautious that there are certain segments of what we interact with on a daily basis that are extraordinarily dangerous or, uh, or that there might be that uh, advantage being taken of our children. So when we think of, I think it's very important to consider the topic of naivete. And if you're not familiar with that topic, just consider, is your child or adult on the spectrum lacking judgment? Ask yourself that question. If they're lacking judgment, in what areas are they lacking judgment? Maybe they would do well working with a skills worker to build up that area. What's their overall wisdom like? Were they in an environment where they had friends and opportunities to connect with other people? Or were they really socially isolated? They haven't developed a lot of those other skills they could need. 
So what kind of experience do they have? Were they homeschooled? Were they in a school setting? Have they ever had a job? Looking at their life experience. And that goes to the heart of adaptive functioning too. Do they lack an understanding of sophistication too? In a lot of cases, they're going to. Those would be some really important targeted areas to be aware of. So naivete, another topic in my experience, most people have never heard of, and it comes out of the intellectual and developmental disability literature. It's something called crudility. Basically, think of that is if someone is dealing with crudility, it, it is related to naivete and gullibility. And if someone comes off as very like innocent and just kind of much younger than their age, does that person have a tendency to trust and just believe other people at face value without fact-checking, verifying. So they have a willingness to almost believe anything that's told to them. And I've seen this anecdotally with social media. Yeah, they see something, kind of what you said, and they just go along with it. Do they not fact-check, verify? Do they do things with uncertain evidence too, where things just don't add up? Helping them learn how to do those things and practicing these skills. Maybe it is using social stories. We talked a little bit about compliance as well. This is where the research has found that this population typically is more compliant than suggestible, but we still want to be on the lookout for suggestibility. What is compliance? How does this factor into this question? Compliance would be externally, they go along with what's been asked of them, but internally, they don't agree with it, but they don't say anything about it because they don't want to embarrass the other person they don't want to embarrass themselves. Compliance has been associated with lower levels of self-esteem. In some cases, people that have really low levels of social scalability can be absolutely more prone to be compliant. So we really want to be aware of that. What is their social understanding like? There is some evidence too to point to the fact that being bullied and teased and having negative life experiences can absolutely increase compliance because I've seen this with individuals, people who are highly compliant as well, maybe conflict avoidant. They don't want to ruffle the feathers. They don't like people mad at them. They don't want to disappoint people. And they particularly don't want to disappoint people in positions of power, people who are wearing a uniform. All of those things I mentioned would be wonderful target areas for an interventionist to work on a therapist and family members to be aware of. And putting those fences around the person, fact-checking, verifying things, and helping that person build more self-efficacy, self-esteem, reducing their shame are all important areas that I think can help improve in these adaptive functioning kind of behaviors. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's one of those things that no matter how much you try and protect and how much there's always going to be something out there on the horizon. And I think that we always need to keep informing ourselves how to get better and then how to coach others to continue to get better. Um, you obviously have been doing so much work in this field and being able to understand it. What are some of the resources? I mean, how do people get to your material and what other resources are out there for families to really understand this, this issue so they can be prepared for success instead of waiting for that chance for crisis? Yeah, if you just Google my name, you can find lots of different articles online. You're more than welcome to share my email address with your listeners if that's helpful. 
I find Google Scholar to be a very helpful resource. So just typing in keywords into Google Scholar, you can find abstracts and sometimes full articles to different things. On uh, YouTube, you can find some short educational videos, looking at your local advocacy groups on the local level, national level uh, for autism. Um, just Googling forensic interviewing, criminal justice interviewing, gullibility, naivete, suggestibility, and putting autism after that, you'll find different websites that have some caregiver accounts on there, short little articles. This is an area that's lacking in research. There, there's some, but there's absolutely a need for more. There's not a lot of training on this topic. I'm one of the few people I can find online that have been doing trainings specifically related to like suggestibility and these kind of topics related to neurodevelopmental disorders. But you'll find quite a bit of literature out there on general suggestibility and compliance and naivete. I would absolutely read that as well, even if it doesn't relate to autism directly. There is so much information in these articles that can indirectly apply. Learning about trauma. If you just Google trauma and autism, you will find a lot of resources. Attachment and autism. If you're looking for a long list of readings, I'd be more than happy to email people. I always get back to people right away. I have so many resources on these topics because that's what I've been studying for several years now and really trying to learn as much as possible to get the word out on these topics. Yeah, and we appreciate the effort. I mean, the way that you're describing how that intersection between compliance, adjustability um, come into play, it's not just in the forensic world. It's not just in how to protect oneself. These are all lifelong skills. And it's interesting that we haven't delved deeper into them as a field. So the work that you're doing, hopefully, is that springboard for others to kind of get in there and, and dig up what, you, what you've been working on and continue to improve upon all that literature in the field so we can learn more. But uh, Jared, I appreciate your time. And, and I do hope to get you back in because it sounds like on the issue of executive functioning and sleep, there's so much more to talk about. And I'd love to be able to do that at a future podcast. But just the time you spent today was so informative. So I, I do thank you for being a part of this uh, podcast today. I'd be honored. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.